Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. That if you're a Bible student, it should strike you about Melchizedek. He was both a king and a priest. This was really an, an anomaly because priests weren't supposed to be kings and kings weren't supposed to be priests. As a matter of fact, if you study in the Old Testament, whenever a king decided he was such a big shot that he was going to do priestly duties, he got in big trouble with God. Uh, Uzziah, I think, was one of them. There's several different priests or kings who got in trouble trying to do sacrifices, trying to do priestly duties. But this guy, Melchizedek, was pro- totally appropriate that he was both king and priest. We also see in verse 1, the last part of verse 1, that he was the priest of the Most High God. And so what we're going to look for and what we're going to see pretty clearly when we look at Melchizedek is types of Christ. I've told you last week that Melchizedek was a true historical character and at the same time he was also a type, a picture of Jesus Christ. And so just calling him the priest of the Most High God there's a real tip right there, okay? So we're going to look for types. Now, if you, if you were paying attention when we went through Genesis 14, and I read you those few verses, there's some real clear types right there. In Genesis 14, 18, we're told that he, was, um, he, he brought bread and wine. So he brings bread and wine. Doesn't that kind of remind you of communion? Kind of feels like, you know, Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. This is my blood which was shed for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. So this Melchizedek, who's a type of Christ, brings bread and wine to Abraham. And uh, did you notice that also Melchizedek blessed Abraham? And, And the argument in Hebrews 7 is that the greater always blesses the lesser. And we see that in, in uh, verse 19. Then we also notice that um, not only does he bless Abraham, but he receives tithes, uh, an act of worship, an act of surrender from Abraham in verse 20. All this makes Melchizedek very, very special. Okay, uh, Not only a type of Christ, but there's something about him that you wonder, who was this guy? This is amazing. But even more special than that, Look at verse 3 once more. Who was Melchizedek? Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest continually. Does that kind of trouble you? Does that kind of challenge you? You know, there are, there are two main lines of thinking about this. 
One is that when it says without father and mother, without genealogy, uh, many think, well, they left out all that stuff. He did have a father and a mother, and they, he did have a genealogy, but they left it out purposely so that he remain a good type of Christ. And so it's not that he didn't have a father and mother, didn't have uh, a genealogy, but it was left out purposely so the type would be complete. There's another line of thinking that many theologians believe that he was without mother, without father, and of course some think he was an angel. I don't think that's at all. Some think he was divine, or some think he was what we call a Christophany. A Christophany is an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. Now I think last week I was leaning towards and even kind of hinted that he was a type of Christ. The more I study this, the more I'm thinking, darn, I think... I think that was Jesus. You know, so, you know, it's funny. As I've listened to some of my favorite pastors and teachers, they're, they're split down the middle on this. Some say he was just a type. Others say he was. Several of the ones I really uh, love and appreciate and listen to often t tell me that, oh, I think he was actually Jesus, uh, a Christophany. Okay? So, now, it's a great debate. But why the confusion? Why isn't it very clear? Well, for one thing, if you look at verse 3 again, it says that he was made like the Son of God. It doesn't say he was the Son of God. So the argument from the theologians who think he was just a type will say, well, it, if it was Jesus, they would just say he was Jesus, but they didn't. They said he was like, made, made like, okay? Uh, but also look at in verse 3, it says he remains a priest continually. So the priesthood where Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek is we don't keep replacing priests when they die, like the high priest system and the Levitical system. This priesthood, Melchizedek, is it. He remains a priest continually. Does that pose a problem? That makes me lean more towards he really was Jesus Christ. Okay. Also, in chapter 6, verse 20, we're told that... Um, Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So, and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, Jesus was, he's not like following the order of somebody who was greater than him, going, oh, thank you, I'll, you can hand it off to me now. And as a matter of fact, that it said that Melchizedek, we already read, remains a priest continually. And Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. What do you do with all that, okay? Have fun in your growth groups. But personally, you know, I'm leaning right now, I'm just leaning towards this was a Christophany, a picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. Because this, was, this order was an eternal, ongoing priesthood, and you can't secede somebody if the original priest doesn't die or retire, right? And so uh, it's continually, that means no replacement, I'm leaning right now that this was Jesus Christ, a Christophany, as they call it. As a matter of fact, I've, I've given the uh, growth group leaders links. If you want to really go deep on this, I've given several links uh, online that you could follow up examples of theophanies, an appearance of God in the Old Testament, and Christophanies, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. You guys who aren't in growth groups... You don't get it. Okay, so I said this to the growth group leaders. Okay, now let's move on to verse 4. And I want you to see the Jewish 
thinking here. In verse 4, Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who were of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. How far am I reading? All the way. Uh, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them, he receives tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now I'm going to stop here because we already did read all these verses. Again, I'm not going to read them uh, too many times to you. You're going to go through them enough more times in your small groups. But I, I want you to see that the thinking is that Abraham paid tithes to this character Melchizedek, and Abraham's descendants came from his loins, even Moses and Aaron and Levitical priesthood, meaning they all were a part of Abraham when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And in Jewish thinking, that means Melchizedek is greater than Abraham and all who came from him, implying the Levitical priesthood. And so um, this, this is the Jewish thinking. Of course, people today are thinking that in other ways. Okay, now, um, since we're looking at the topic here of Abraham tithing to Melchizedek, I feel like it's good timing for me to at least touch on tithing. Okay, now I'm not going to, we're not taking an offering. <coughs> I know pastors who love to teach on tithing, now they're going to pass the bucket. Have you noticed we've never passed a bucket? We've never put a bag or a bucket in front of you and says give, but we've got a little box in the back and people give. But I think it's actually good timing because we're in a place right now in our, um, our finances that I've never, I, I, I try to avoid talking about money to people. Unless we give to a missionary, we've supported somebody, I want to let you know about it. Even that sometimes I neglect it. So we're going to talk a little bit about tithing. And so in your notes, you've got, uh, these are your next four fill-ins or more, okay? So there's four principles concerning Christian giving, okay? And the first one is this. Giving is an act of worship and love. Giving is an act of worship and love. It's not crack the whip, and if you want to be a member of this club, you better pay your dues. That's not what tithing or offerings are about. It's an act of worship to the Lord and loving your brethren. Uh, think about it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're told that don't you know that your body is not your own? You're a temple of the Holy Spirit, and you don't even belong to yourself. You belong to God. And so in New Testament thinking... It's not like, well, I give God his portion. It's, I, God owns me, I belong to God, and everything I have belongs to God, okay? And so that's the thinking. And so as a part of your worship, I remember when I was on staff at Calvary Boise, I quite often was the one who prayed over the offering. We used to take up offering. We used to pass the bucket back there. And um, I used to be the one who'd pray over it. And I always would say, Lord, accept our worship in giving. You know, we worship you now in our giving. And I really believe that um, giving is a very legitimate form of worship. You could sing and keep your money. You could sing and keep your life and not give any of your life or time or energy to the Lord. But, you know, the, if something has your wallet, they got you, you know. You could tell what's important to people by where they spend their money or, or charge it, whatever. You could tell people's priorities by what they do with their money. And so giving is an act of worship and love. Now, let's move along. Verse uh, number two. 
We're to give with a generous and cheerful heart. Cheerful. It's not an obligatory thing. I actually know churches, uh, and usually it's the cult-type churches, that they keep track who's giving and who's not. And if, you, if you're not giving your tithes, Hello, this is Brother Sasso. I'm here to ask you about your tithes. I notice you haven't been giving your tithes lately. You're, matter of fact, you're about six months behind. We'll send you the bill. I mean, weird stuff. I've heard stories about, especially the cults, they keep track. By the way, I don't know who gives. I don't know what you give. I don't want to know because I might treat you different if I knew, okay? And so uh, I, I, the board doesn't tell me. All I know is the, the number at the end of each week and at the end of each month, I get a figure of how much came in and where our expenses are and where our bills and what, you know, I get the overview, but I don't get details, okay? I remember one time a lady came up to me and says, Pastor Mike, I just want you to know why I stopped giving. There was a missionary who came into town. We let him speak, and now she decided to tithe to that missionary. And she goes, I just want you to know I've been giving my tithes to that missionary. I says, well, you should have told me because I didn't know. <laughs> now I know, you know. It's like, so don't talk to me about stuff like that, okay? I really don't want to know. That's between you and the Lord. Now, all I know is, is worship. we worship the Lord in giving. It's an act of worship and love. It's, it's something we should do generously with a cheerful heart. Matter of fact, uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says this. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If you can't give cheerfully, go to McDonald's and spend it there, okay? That would be about your whole tithe right there, that, the way McDonald's has gone up, right? So listen, this is the principle number two. Principle number three, our giving is tied in with our sowing and reaping. There is a principle of sowing and reaping that uh, stingy people, they wonder why they don't have any money, because they're stingy people. I've known generous people who just give, and they never run out because you can't outgive God. Have you ever heard that expression? You can't outgive God. You're a generous person, and God blesses you. And a verse for that, Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and you'll receive. Your gift will return to you in full pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. That sounds like some uh, health and wealth preacher, doesn't it? That's Jesus. He says the, the manner in which you give, it's going to be dealt back to you. So uh, uh, your sowing and reaping is tied into that. Okay. Now, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said something. Am I, am I cutting out? Uh, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said something very similar in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Right after talking about giving cheerfully, he says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God will generously provide all your need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide an increase for your resources and then produce, excuse me, and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take, excuse me, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. <coughs> 
So another thing that Paul is saying is, when you give and we bless others with what you give, they're going to be thankful. So not only is it a blessing and a worship to God, but it's causing other people to be thankful unto the Lord. So number four, we, uh, our giving should be appropriate, excuse me, should be proportionate to what we have. That, that makes sense, right? It's not like uh, the admission charge, there's a cover charge for church, right? And everybody pays the same. But when you give to the Lord, it should be proportionate and how the Lord has given to you, how the Lord has blessed you. A couple of verses on that is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 in the NIV says this, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. Matter of fact, the way it's put in the Amplified Bible is, On the first day of each week, let each one of you personally put aside and save up as he, as he has prospered in proportion to what he has been given. And so it makes sense. Uh, that's why rich people can give thousands and millions of dollars, and all I could give is a, a, a lot less, <laughs> you know. And so it's really proportionate to what you have. Um, if our giving is to be proportionate to what we have, what proportion? If everyone should give a percentage of what they have, what's the right percentage? I'll tell you, folks, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do. People, Christians argue over this. Christians debate over this. Uh, but let me just tell you, honestly, I've studied it, and the New Testament does not demand that each one of you give 10%. It's not an absolute law. We'll look at the principle of it in a moment, but the, <clears throat> it doesn't demand it like the law of Moses did. As a matter of fact, it's, tithing is never mentioned... <clears throat> In the epistles, it's mentioned in the Gospels because Jesus was speaking to the Jews and he talked about tithing. The only epistle that even talks about tithing is where we're at right now in Hebrews and in chapter 7 particularly. But let me tell you something. Though it's not a requirement or demand, I think 10% is a good principle that was practiced before the law. You go, well, it's not a law. It's not, but look at Abraham. Why did he pick 10%? to give to Melchizedek. Uh, now, believe me, when Linda and I first got married 102 years ago, when we, got, we really wrestled over this because we didn't make much money at the time, and it was like we could barely pay our bills. I think at the end of each month, we had $5 left over when we do our budget. It's like, well, what do you want to do with all this? <laughs> you know? And so we go, Lord, show us, because we've heard so much teaching on tithing. And some Christians say, you need to give 10%. If you don't, you're robbing God. I mean, and they build a big case from the scriptures, mostly the Old Testament. There's other Christians who say, we're not under the law. You just give as the Lord leads. And, and I'm telling you something, you have to hammer that out in your growth groups and between you and the Lord. But I'm giving you some principles to think about from the scriptures, okay? I believe 10% is a good principle. And after, after much prayer and consideration, Linda and I decided early in our marriage that we were going to give 10%. Now, truth be known, we started by giving 10% of our net. That didn't kill us. So then we thought, well, we're going to give 10% of our gross. That didn't kill us. Then we decided, okay, every... Every paycheck, we're going to give 10% of the gross to the Lord right off the top, and then we'll look for any other ways that we could bless people if we have the money to bless people in need. And so 
it's, I think it's a growth process of spiritual maturity. So you've got to work this out, especially if you're married. Work it out with your spouse so you're both on the same page and not, not at odds with one another. Linda and I had to go through this journey together. And so for many, many years now, we've been giving 10% of our growth. And I just think um, it's appropriate. It's funny. There was even been times after that that um, once I went on staff at a large church in Southern California, I started seeing how some of the money was spent, and I didn't like it. I mean... Look at all the money that goes towards that. Look at all the money that goes, and I don't, I don't agree with that. And so what I did then, we said, well, let's put our tithe in a special account. And then we'll decide when we see a need to take it out and spend it to bless people. And so we started tithing and, or, and, and arranging our own tithes and deciding where our tithes was going to go. And you know what I discovered? I get to waste my money just as good as the church can. I'm just telling you. All the journeys we've been through with that, that I realized, you know what? By faith, as an act of worship and love, we just started writing the check, the tithe, and trust the Lord with it, because I discovered after experimentation that I could waste it even more than the church could waste my money, okay? Now, because everywhere you go, whatever church you belong to, you find something you don't agree with, okay? Now, uh, tithing was how the Old Testament government of Israel and the priesthood survived. If, if the people didn't give, then the government wouldn't function. It was kind of like their taxes. As a matter of fact, what most people don't realize, the, the ancient Jews didn't give just 10%. They gave 10% of that and 10% of this. But the time you add it all up, the ancient Jews, in order to run their government and support the priesthood, the ancient Jews paid about 33% of their income for all of the miscellaneous tithing, and that was more than 10%, but it was tithe of this and a tithe of that, and on and on like that. So, uh, and, and it was even considered robbery, if you look it up in Malachi 3.8, God even says, will you rob God? Well, by withholding your tithes and offerings, you're robbing God. Now, that was an Old Testament statement about, you're not supporting the government of Israel, the priesthood of Israel. We have a different system now, but I'll tell you what, and I'll show you in a moment, that there are some of the principles that do carry over. That's how the church functions. That's how the church survives. That's how we pay our bills. That's how we pay our staff, depending upon your giving. Okay? So, um, Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Listen to this. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Old Testament, I understand. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, of heaven's armies. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. You ever find anywhere in the Bible where the, God, where the Lord says, put me to the test. Test me on this. You know where he tests you? On your giving. I'm not going to take an offering, okay? I'm just telling you. If you've been with us for 10, 11 years, you know I rarely ever have taught on tithing. But we're on the topic, and I also believe it's, it's good timing for where we're at as a church. Because I do believe, for the, probably for the first time in the 11 years we've been a church, we'll be taking out of our savings in order to pay the bills and, and, and to support the missionaries. Because giving has been down, tithing has been, or offerings have been low, and so here we are in this topic. I thought, okay, 
Lord, I think it's your timing. I'm going to touch on it. You're not going to hear another message like this for another 10 years, okay? Because I just don't, I don't teach on this topic often. Now, <clears throat> I do want you to know, though, it is a New Testament principle to financially support the church and the pastors. I want to show you a verse in a moment, but I've been building a case that was an Old Testament principle, tithing, and that's how you supported the Israeli government and the priesthood. It's true. But listen to what the Bible says in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul writes in verse 17, Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You must not muzzle an ox or keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place it says, Those who work deserve their pay. Okay, just a little true confession. When I first became a pastor, I felt so guilty taking a paycheck from the church because, I mean, this was like 33, 34 years ago because I thought, all these years I've been serving the Lord, working hard, paying my tithes and supporting the church. And in any ministry I did, I taught a Bible study, I led worship, I went to convalescent homes, I did all this ministry because it was just unto the Lord. And my pastor asked me to come on staff and now I'm going to get paid for all the stuff I usually do just as an act of worship on the Lord. Now they're going to pay me for it? I really wrestled over that. It was a guilt trip till I found this and other verses that the Lord kind of took it off my shoulder that, no, this is, this is God's way of supporting the ministry. Okay, now, something else I want to look at back in Hebrews chapter four, uh, 7, verse 4 he says, now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. As I've listened to different people teach on the, the uh, original language of this, the spoils, it's an interesting term used here for spoils. It actually means the best or the top of the heap or you know, the, the, off the top. And so it's funny. The argument I've heard a lot of preachers say is, when you give unto the Lord, you should give right off the top. Their argument is from the gross and not the net, right? But I tell you what, I've seen people give their leftovers to the Lord, and it was a shame. Jesus, he's the resurrection, the we hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.